1: Welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm Linda Palacio, and I will be your host for this half hour here on the Heritage Radio Network. And you can reach us at Heritage Radio Network at 718 497 2128. And today we are sponsored by Dixon's Farm Stand Meats. Uh, they provide sustainable meats, small farms, and they know the animals um and how they're how they're cared for and how they're butchered and Jake Dixon actually goes to the small farms and picks them up i mean how how great is that really good food and really good meats so they're in Chelsea market in new york city dixon's farm stand meats today on on a taste of the past We're going to definitely go a step back in the past, not too far, however, Um, for for some of us who've been around a while, it's not too far, and I have with me today Joanne Lamb-Hayes. Welcome, Joanne.
2: Welcome. Thank you.
1: Um, Joanne is a food writer with many books under her belt, and a food stylist, and a food historian, and a couple of the books that she wrote um, a ways back... well, within the past five years, ten years. Yeah. Grandma's Wartime Kitchen and Grandma's Wartime Baking Book, both of them to do with uh, World War Two and the way we cooked. And I thought it would be interesting today, oh, why, I don't know what brought this to my mind, uh, maybe having seen Joanne <laughs> recently, but um, or certainly not to do with war. Um, but it's about, people and the, and the rationing that they had to do and the cutbacks they had to make and how they became very inventive and adapted recipes so that very little changed for them. In, well, not very little, but that they were able to adapt recipes and continue to provide good food on the table. So um, I really wanted to invite Joanne to talk about those books and and talk about how perhaps that was a a, a real moment in history, in women's history um, because not only did they have to change the cooking but they also had to go out into the workplace. So Joanne um, I, I have to say when I looked over these books once again, thank you I enjoyed the books all over again brand new. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> um, what I, how, when you were doing the research for these books did you do mostly oral I mean, a lot of oral histories on people?
2: I did a number of oral histories but Also, um, at the time that I did this, I was working for um, a a magazine, and I I did an article on a a similar subject and uh, asked people to send me their stories. And I got a a lot of stories that people sent in about uh, how they coped and interesting things that had happened to them. Because the voices
1: really do come through loud and clear. You feel that you're, I mean, the book's, have these wonderful little inserts of quotes that you have from different people, as well as the wonderful old posters from the wartime, which were, are just a marvel to to look at. Um, but I really got the sense of a voice, many that, voices.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and it was fun to hear everyone's individual stories and really um, added so much to the book. Uh, mo- most of the original um, research was done in women's magazines from the 1940s. Hmm. And I was so surprised when I looked at the pages there because it was exactly the way my family lived um, up through, or the way my mother cooked up through the 60s and the 70s. Uh, And I had always thought she made it up herself, and it was all right there in women's magazines.
1: Well, what in, so what in particular struck, you know, what, when you say the way she cooked, for those listeners out there that might have no idea, what, what, are you referring to in some of the ways that she cooked? What was rationed? What was, you know, how did, what, what substitutes had to be made?
2: To start with, uh, America was coming out of the Depression when the war started, and the first thing that was was rationed was coffee and then uh, sugar, and then uh, the third rationing program uh, included meat and canned goods, which is what people, and butter, which people remember pretty much in the magazines, I saw some surveys and they had asked people what they missed the most. And it was always sugar and butter. Mm. And that's sort of the things that we hear today. Um, people remembering the substitutes mm-hmm. for those things. And, and also um, what people did to stretch things and to uh, make their ration coupons uh
1: and, of course, sugar. Go I mean, further. the sugar cane fields, you you mentioned that it was rationed because the sugar canes of, were... In in
2: tra- yeah, because of transportation. Transportation. And also because the Philippines provided a great deal of sugar for the United States, and um, the Philippines were lost very early in the war. And um, any ships bringing it
1: over were turned over to wartime To transport. military use. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So... Um, What was the first, so sugar was probably the first thing to be rationed. That was the
2: first, the first thing, first ration book that people got as far as food was concerned uh, was the, the sugar book. And it had little coupons and everyone in the family got a, was entitled to a book. But the value of the coupons changed each week depending on the amount of sugar that was available. So that was posted in the store when you came into the store. So you could you could bring in a coupon to get your ration of sugar weekly, but you didn't know what it was going to be and it would it would change slightly.
1: Yeah, I mean you mentioned one point in the book that half a pound per person per week was init- the initial, initial ration, but I'm sure that went down. And it changed, yeah. yeah.
2: Changed yeah. depending on but um I have a number of recipes that were billed as sugarless recipes. And shortly after the book came out, I got letters from people who were cooking for diabetics saying, you know, um, well, send me your sugarless recipes. <laughs> These are not
1: <laughs> not really sugarless recipes. Well, and because, uh, well with the sub, because the substitutions for right, that were... They're
2: white sucrose-less yeah. recipes. Right. Um, so
1: what the substitutions they would make would... Well, we uh, could think all of.
2: sorts of things. Honey, uh, molasses, maple syrup. Uh Some of the most interesting ones and some that have survived are uh using commercial sources uh, manufacturers had a great deal more access to sugar than individual families so people would make some make a cake using a package of jello because the when jello had sugar in it right <laughs> and um and that's how they would get the sugar and the flavoring for their cake. But um, I think the thing, one thing that has definitely survived is the, the Pepsi-Cola or Coca-Cola cake. The Coca-Cola cake. cake. Yeah. Or the 7-Up cake. All of those were sources of sugar. Those
1: actually appear in um, community cookbooks. Well into the seventies and eighties, yeah. I mean, that's something that just never died. It was it kind of became a novelty, I guess.
2: And, and they they certainly appear in on restaurant menus across the country now, hmm. um, as a sort of a novelty.
1: Yeah, interesting that um, we things done in time of hardship became uh, sought after uh, items, traditions. Today, like, yeah, traditions. <laughs> thank you. Yes, um, and I I think also a lot of what. People refer to today as comfort foods seem to come out of this wartime cooking?
2: I think a, a lot of them have because that's what um, people continue to do, the things that they like best. I mean, there were a lot of substitutions that were made that um, people decided not to ever do again (laughs) like the uh spam turkeys (laughs) yeah (laughs) things like that but um what is
1: in spam anyway
2: (laughs) basically pork and the seasonings that um well not unlike scrapple
1: i guess really mm, bits of pork and
2: mm, no but it's it's pressed together Mm -hmm. it's um I mean, they do the same thing with chicken and things these days mm-hmm. to make uh, boneless cuts of, of meat. <laughs> chicken uh, loaf. <laughs> it's just the less expensive cuts of pork that were are reassembled with seasonings. All right, and uh, packed
1: in that little can, right? <laughs> which I still is used, still popular. People right? used to stack
2: <laughs> them together and carve them into a turkey <laughs> when,
1: mm. when turkeys weren't available. Now, things you do when time is tough, right? Um, but, yeah, casseroles. Uh, I think became a a huge item at that time. Well, casserole
2: cooking served a lot of purposes because you could uh, be very creative and use whatever you had. You could also use the canned things that you had had prepared. But most of all, they uh, gave you some free time and and time was very important, Mm -hmm. too. Well, Um, as I
1: mentioned earlier, um, that that we can go into in more depth is that... um, obviously the war changed women's,
2: uh, women's role roles. in history.
1: Yeah, roles mm-hmm. because they were called upon to go back into the workplace. They were um, serving in in the uh, the armed forces and plus they still had to keep the home.
2: Right. <laughs> yes.
1: Double duty there. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that going on these days too. Uh, absolutely. So. Uh,
1: in fact, I, a lot of things that come out of the book I see are, are methods and ways that we of cooking that I have become popular once again mm-hmm. in reducing sugar. Um, and not because we have to, but for, for health, health reasons. reasons. Yeah, mm-hmm. But now, of course, you mentioned that we were just coming out of the Depression and World War II, so there were a lot of foodstuffs. People weren't accustomed to spending a lot of money on their market basket. Mm-hmm. The other thing that um, struck me is that um, there was a mention that nutrition – was low, and a lot of people were considered unhealthy and not up to par nutritionally and obviously, this was because they were living lean during those depression years, so there was a huge push during the wartime for proper nutrition
2: and there had been a lot of research in the late thirties uh, a great deal of was discovered about vitamins. And that just became a, a part of everyone's um, vocabulary hmm. at, at that point. So people became very aware of uh, nutrition. And then the government found that so many of the people that were drafted were not um, in good health to serve because they had uh, lived on such a poor diet during, mm-hmm. during the Depression, mm-hmm. a diet of uh, cornmeal mush and <laughs> fat <laughs> back. And, yeah. um
1: so eating your um, your three servings of vegetables a day, I mean, I just mm-hmm. thought this was just a, you know, push to make sure you, you know, they ate the things that were in the cabinet. But this was really a nutrition. There was a lot
2: of nutrition information provided uh-huh. along with um, information on uh, planting things, on doing your victory gardens, uh, on canning, preserving things so that your family did have fresh vegetables or had canned vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> your, your, your your home canned
1: vegetables. Vegetables <laughs> <that's> at all, <laughs> <laughs> yes. right. Uh-huh. right um it, it's so because after sugar um followed actually canned items was another item canned, that was that was rationed the,
2: they were part of the um third ration program where meat butter and other fats and the reason why canned things were rationed is because that was the best way to send them abroad mm-hmm. both to the countries that we were helping feed our allies and and also to the armed services
1: and meat too we were shipping a lot of our meat and right. and um, everything all the, the mm-hmm. food stuff's over abroad so it was we sort of had to share in that whole effort right we i mean i wasn't um. alive but no <laughs> we but we as a country yes we shared yes. in that in that uh in that effort well what i would like to do is um talk some more about the uh, the Victory Gardens, as they were called. When we come back, we're going to take a short break at this time, and then we'll talk
2: about Victory Gardens. That sounds good.
0: Sweet, sweet, the memories you gave to me. You can't beat the memories you gave to me. Play sweet, sweet, one fresh and ten a kiss. You can't the you gave to me. Add one stolen the line of bliss. You can't beat the memories you gave to me. One girl... One boy, some grief, some joy, and memories of me live. she is dripping, and the fence, she's fallen down. My pocket needs some money, so I can't go into town. She needs
1: a motor yes. So I can go anywhere oh Welcome back to A Taste of the Past. We're here with Joanne Lamb-Hayes talking about the way people cooked during World War II and the sacrifices people had to make and substitutions they made. And um, we, During the break, Joanne and I were talking about fats and, and butter and, of course, margarine. People always hear the stories about... Um, margarine being substituted well margarine was then just invented to substitute right. for butter and mm-hmm. lard uh, the butter and lard um I, I could never understand why butter and lard were rationed and then reading your book of course i i understood and talk about that
2: because the fat in them could be turned into um was used at for the glycerin for um to make gunpowder and um, people were also encouraged to save their fats, and there were directions up in the butcher shop on how to purify them. You could bring them back to the butcher, and you would get a credit for that amount of money uh, based on the weight of them. And to then, huh, help, I, the,
1: help the manufacturing munitions. I see, On I, I yes. never put that together. Now we're saving mm-hmm. oil to run our cars,
2: right? <laughs> well, <laughs> Cooking <yeah>. oils. <laughs> cooking right? oils.
1: But, uh-huh, but interesting. And so margarine came to be as a substitute
2: so. Margarine was developed uh, as a substitute. Um, I think that one of the biggest changes in people's diet was the dependence on corn, which you hear a lot about these days. But um, corn was uh, made to replace many of the things that we were importing. Um, corn syrup was uh, became very popular. We had corn everywhere, all over the country, and could. Uh, turn it into all kinds of good things, and, and we
1: still do cor- corn oil,
2: <laughs> corn syrup. Uh, yes, I've, I've heard that almost everything in the supermarket these days has something Some made form from corn. Of corn. Yeah, and this is when that started because that's very avi- it was very available. And of course, corn syrup was a wonderful in. substitute yeah.
1: corn, you know, for mm-hmm. sweetened goods. Um, you know, and and encouraging. Um, homemakers to save their drippings and their fats i mean that was a practice that died hard my mother through up you know through the um well late 60s even Mm -hmm. always had a can on the back of the stove for Uh all the drippings the the bacon drippings the fat drippings Mm -hmm. funny then it kind of died out that wasn't a cool thing to do (laughs) right you could buy your your fats and lo and behold here we are again it's now a fashionable thing to do. You save your fats, you save your goose fat, your duck fat, your the the pork and lard, and use it for and cooking. Use it for flavor, <laughs> for because flavor, of flavor. Yes. right? Yeah. So we learned a thing or two, right? <laughs> Interesting. Um, we were we said when we went to the break that we were going to talk about the Victory Gardens.
2: Um, l- talk a little bit about how the... Victory gardens are one of the things that people remember most uh, about the war. Um, actually, they started uh, during the First World War, where people were encouraged to um, start planting. And immediately after Pearl Harbor, the what were called then a war garden project started. And the name was changed to Victory Garden in February or March of uh, that year so that people could buy their seeds and and get started and and, uh, start their seedlings inside and and put them outside. There was a great deal of uh, pressure to do this. And Victory Gardens became such a big project that um, by 1943, uh, there was so much um, food produced and home canned food Around that, they started encouraging people to make sure they were actually using it, (laughs) not just canning it and putting it in their basement. Because everyone um, was so proud of it that they were hoarding it, and
1: and and the the you know the popularity of preserving and preserving books, canning books, and preserving Mm -hmm. books became popular at that time. Food writers really did, and and you mentioned this. Food writers really had a responsibility to um, to help people out in in finding enticing recipes and methods.
2: They right? did. And at that point, the government had um, agencies that provided the basic information that they wanted to um, have disseminated. And also, home economics was around. That's I right. I that's way gone these days. That's right. And yeah. here we
1: are with, I'm saying gardening with... Victory Gardens were a little tougher in the city. You'd have to have uh, community gardens, but now yeah. we've got here. We are at Roberta's restaurant in in Brooklyn, and under
2: the garden, yeah, <laughs> under the garden. We're sitting, we're sitting, under, sitting garden. under the garden, <laughs> and
1: the garden's on the roof. And that has be, it, it, people have discovered that you can grow so much um, wonderful produce, and it's much yeah. healthier, and, and you can control what's you know substances. Gardening again is has just taken a boom in self canning, home canning. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, people had lots of window boxes, and um, in on fire escapes they had crates that they made, you know raised things in. Uh, Rockefeller Center turned their gardens, the the gardens that run down through the center of it toward the skating rink, into victory gardens hmm. and raised vegetables there. Wonderful,
1: wonderful. Wow. Um, the I, I just I think that the whole um, this whole renaissance as people think it's a renaissance of gardening again and home gardening and mm-hmm. came out of a sense of need and or a or time of need mm-hmm. and now it's uh, more of a well these days it has
2: yes it has more to do with nutrition mm-hmm. but canning has become very popular again um uh, our local hardware store was running out of canning jars <laughs> last last summer and yeah. uh, in the middle of the city so that's one well it's a wonderful thing to i mean uh, the
1: City has become, there's a lot of rooftop garden uh, companies now starting up mm. because they've decided rooftops are the place for gardens. And I think that's wonderful that I mean, people, you don't have to have a patch of land in the back and you can still, you know, grow a garden. And that's, that's great. Well, so the generation
2: that did the victory gardens during the Second World War continued to garden for the rest of their lives. Mm. Um, um, now we
1: talked about um, the meats fats and and meats being um, well the meats being sent abroad, and fats of course going for other purposes uh, meat substitutions there i mean poultry what was not rationed poultry was
2: not rationed um you could you could get uh, one of the reasons why people could use poultry is because it was raised in back chickens were raised in backyards mm-hmm. uh, or raised <laughs> by your neighbors and um uh meat in general was um set up in a system so that what was more valued uh was less available to people your ration coupons uh were for s- worked like money so that it, uh, you if you wanted to buy a pound of steak it cost you a certain amount of money but it also cost you a certain number of uh ration points which varied again by um the supply at that particular time but a meat that was less value like you like organ meats if if you in um several years ago were uh served stuffed heart or lots of liver or lamb this kidneys sort of, right? yes <laughs> there. <laughs> there you go uh these things were not not right didn't take it have any ration points and now, because they now weren't, they become weren't a, as desirable and now, now, now they're, a they're cool chef right uh, ingredients that's
1: right we I talked about nose to tail cooking a couple times here now right. pork was, belly <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> pork noise um so mm-hmm. some of the substitutions people would make i i've found lower cost things yeah. and but
2: also uh adding a lot of shredded vegetables to your meatloaf or your meatballs Which is being
1: done now. That's right. Um, Stretching that, you know, making um, meatballs and meatloaf. You know how you can make it. And it's stretch a long way to
2: get the kids to eat the vegetables as well. Right,
1: (laughs) that's right. And uh, interesting to see, um, you had a recipe for mock sausage patties. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what did they contain?
2: Um, Mostly vegetables, and then some eggs to to stick them together, and um, and grape nuts.
1: Uh, Lentils and grape nuts were a substitute, which sounds almost like a falafel. I mean, but yet we had not really probably Mm -hmm. embraced that, you know, Middle Eastern cuisine yet that um, falafels probably were not widely available. Mm -hmm. So mock sausage patties. One
2: one of the things I was most surprised about was soy because soy is now, um, you know, a mainstream. Right part of our diet, but that seemed to just happen, seemed to me to just happen like 10 years ago. Soy
1: flour and Soy and flour soy beans. and soybeans.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it was used for meat substitute or the beans were used in the same way that you would use other beans. But soy flour was added to a lot of things to provide extra protein. Hmm. And now,
1: what are some of the dishes that you... Um, you say your mother continued to cook that way what were some of the dishes that really struck a chord with you the the way that your mother cooked and you never knew why
2: (laughs) one of the things that i really loved was um stuffing rolls and they had a little piece of bacon wrapped around them the outside and then this was served as meat this was the meat part of a meal you know it was on the plate with potatoes and a vegetable but the inside of it was the inside was was bread stuffing sounds good to me and I thought she had invented this it tasted really good Mm -hmm. Um, and she would make milk gravy to go with it in 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 the pan after she had fried it Um, and then I found it in some of the 1940s magazines that I was reading (laughs) Uh, stuffed vegetables of all sorts Mm -hmm. were uh, very big and those were certainly served as the meat portion of a meal But in in our family, um, it was never mentioned that this wasn't really meat. And um, so I'm sure my parents thought of it as not meat, but I didn't know any better until much later. We had fried squash Mm -hmm. that was uh, um, a lot of vegetables, fried uh, green tomatoes. And we didn't always do green tomatoes. We did firm red tomatoes, too. Um, And they were breaded, and it looked like, meat on the plate <laughs> but and a healthy way to eat i mean yeah. re, you didn't
1: mm-hmm. as americans we always had an overabundance of meat and mm-hmm. you know to suddenly not have it altered our diet but in not in a bad way i mm-hmm. would think i would that to me i would think um and the replacement of fats i was interested to read that peanut butter you mentioned peanut butter was um uh, a common replacement for fats in certain recipes
2: mm-hmm. that, um um because and and it is sort of the, today I mean um, peanut butter cookies became very popular uh-huh. um, apple sauce c- cakes, apple P- sauce
1: P- as uh, added moisture and mm-hmm. a substitute for fat right
2: um, well, it gave the more texture well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting i don't think that people actually thought of it as uh replacing fat until the eighties or nineties when people were Interested in replacing fat in in recipes, I think it was mostly in there to replace volume, in um, with something that was available and less expensive. Oh well, coffee, coffee
1: was something that was early mm-hmm. on rationed, right? And that chicory was was that that was.
2: Well, how did they?
1: I mean, I, I see that. And <laughs> in, in New Orleans, they still they love yeah, their chicory. Yeah, and
2: I think they were doing that to some extent before. Mm. But there was also a lot of uh, toasted wheat. Like, post them. Ah, so they add mm -hmm. that.
1: Um, I was, and I was um, actually surprised that the scant rations of coffee that people were allowed. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. considering how we are so, in today's society, so addicted to that cup of coffee all the time in your hand, and and to suddenly have to go without it would be be a a bit of a trick for some people, Mm -hmm. I would imagine, right? Um, The... um, the, well again, you said that foods, meats that weren't really rationed um, were bologna, things that used a lot of this end scraps of
2: pork maybe, and bologna and hot dogs? Thing, and things that didn't ship well ah, as, uh, okay. were also, um, mm-hmm. didn't take as many ration points.
1: Well, and dried beef. We've all heard the stories of dried beef, right? mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Actually became a a staple of of my family's diet, I think, (laughs) well through the the, the end of the 60s. (laughs) We won't talk about that Mm -hmm. uh, name of it. But there were so many dishes that kind of – well, actually, we will talk about it. The creamed, creamed, dried <laughs> beef on toast That's as many right. people <laughs> know, but maybe some of our listeners don't—was often called "shit on a shingle." Right. <laughs> right. And I guess that started yeah, by that the by the soldiers themselves. I think so, yes. because yeah, <laughs> they were served mm-hmm. it so often. Mm-hmm. It was shipped very easily. It was lightweight. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there are so many things that um, that inter- interestingly enough are seem to be coming back in fashion. As we mentioned, gardening, preserving, and Cutting back on on meats and, and and
2: home baking of bread and things like right. that, right? Yeah, too.
1: that are um, maybe people discovered was really a good thing that mm-hmm. came out of need, and and we are embracing it. and And I think that's that's very interesting. One,
2: one very interesting, uh, entertaining story that I saw in one of the nineteen forties magazines had um, this group of young young married couples together. And they were have the the menu was home baked bread, which took lots of time and time was very valuable, mm. and butter to go on it, and coffee. These were all things that sound so simple, and like if you went to someone 's house and were giving coffee and bread and butter today you 'd think it was <laughs> a little weird, but they were all so excited because these were all things that were very valuable. Uh, at that time, because they were so so hard to get, and, right. and the home baked bread took time. When somebody probably, you know, slipped in this little bit of extra time when they could have been sleeping That's right. after working ten hours a day. And yeah,
1: interesting. Well, I will, I will not put butter on my bread without thinking twice. Thinking next in, and I will savor that cup of coffee yeah. in the morning. That's great. Well, it's very interesting, and and. Um, these books are, well, the one book is, uh, the Wartime Baking book is not in print, but the um, Grandma's Wartime Kitchen, mm-hmm. How We Cooked in World War II, is still in print, correct? Yes,
2: and uh, they're both available on Amazon. Oh, interesting. Um, and Grandma's Wartime Baking book is on Kindle, oh. in, in Kindle. So I don't know how you... An
1: old, <laughs> yeah, an old-fashioned
2: an old uh, way of cooking
1: on a modern uh, technical source.
2: And they're available through my website. Good. Uh, there's a link to them on amazon and it's uh grandma's wartime com with no apostrophe in it grandma's wartime com.
1: okay well joanna it's been a pleasure and i'm and i'm i'm actually interested to try a couple of these recipes um and thank you so much for being here on a taste thank of you. the past on heritage radio network and again i'd like to thank our sponsor dixon's farm stand meats and of course our engineer and producer Jack Inslee and Nat Wiener.